I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our featured poet today is Joseph Grantham. He was born in Kansas City, Missouri, grew up in Northern California, and runs Disorder Press with his sister. He worked as a bookseller in a couple of very interesting places, McNally Jackson Books in New York City and City Lights out in San Francisco. He's the author of Tom Sawyer and the forthcoming Raking Leaves. Right now, he lives in rural northeastern North Carolina in a town of 800. You wouldn't know the name, where he works at a local pharmacy. And I recently got to hear him give a reading at Bennington College. They brought him back as a distinguished, published, recent alum. And uh, when I heard him, I knew you'd enjoy hearing him. So here we are. So, Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for and, having me. Yeah, you get around. And so... Uh, where do you want to start? You want to start with a with a work poem, or you want to tell about how you got into writing work poems? Um, I can tell you about that. Cool. Um, yeah, I was working at McNally Jackson in uh, New York City, and that was kind of a dream job for me. Um, and then I got the job, and then it just became like any any other job to me. Um, and I was just just dealing with a. a a fresh young heartbreak at the time and mm. New York was kind of a hard place for me to live um, for many reasons because of lack of money and you know and the heartbreak um, but yeah so I would be at work and the bookmarks at McNally Jackson have lines on them and I would be bored at work and I would just to kill time I would write poems on those bookmarks because um, they just they kind of gave me a nice constraint um, yeah. for a poem and they gave me some boundaries that you know I could break if I wanted to later but right there on the bookmark that's what I that's what I had to do and yeah so it just those poems kind of spurred from boredom and being stuck in a retail job even if it was a good retail job still um, mm -hmm. still felt like being stuck um, you want me to read one of those or uh, yeah. So do they? Uh, so these fit on a bookmark? Did that also make you? Yeah. Did you stop at the bottom of the bookmark the way Kerouac would use his little notebook sheets? Yeah, I would just, I would, I would stop at the very last line. Um, <laughs> so I'll read one of these. Sure. I'll read. Uh, I'll read the one that, <clears throat> the one that uh, inspired the the title of the book. Um, so this is work poem, and there's a bunch of these in the book. Work poem. Sometimes all you can do is pretend you don't understand someone. And the thought of money scares me less than the thought of no money. While I was writing this, an Italian baby stared at me from his place in the arms of his father. And I thought, one day that boy will read The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. I love the spontaneity of it. I mean, I, I believe you. I believe at the moment you actually thought that because mm -hmm. it's just sufficiently kind of off the wall, out of like, whoop, out of something yeah. your brain does. And that's how a lot of my poems uh, come about, I guess. Um, I remember talking at the reading that I did at Bennington about how I was hungover when I wrote a lot of these. 
Um, and that's true. Um, but I was also, there were also po poems that were written just overly caffeinated um, and like from a lack of sleep. And I feel like that those places kind of let my brain uh, work on its own. I don't, I don't get in the way of myself. Um, and I feel like that's when my, my favorite poems come is, is when I'm not getting in the way of myself. Oh, it sounds like a good uh, a creativity tip, you might say, because I always feel like you can't make yourself write a poem. You really mm -hmm. want to, but you just can't make it happen. You have to kind of trick your being into getting into the right place. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I haven't, I've been kind of hitting a wall lately at work at the pharmacy. Um, for the first few months, I was like, every day I would have something new. Um, just because of the people who come into the pharmacy, things they say, I mean, they're, they're poems in, in and of themselves. Um, but lately I've been kind of stuck. Um, and I mean, that's okay. I don't expect to get a poem yeah. every day, but, uh, yesterday I was walking to the post office and I was going to go mail some books and then a poem started. And I mean, yeah, you just never know when they're going to come. Yeah. And then, you know, you might look at it later and it'll be garbage, but that's okay. Yeah, that's all right. You have to start getting something on the paper. Exactly. Everybody knows that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Do another one. Another one. Okay. Sure. You mentioned uh, Charles Bukowski earlier before maybe mm -hmm. you were recording. And uh, this is called Poem for Charles Bukowski. Uh, when I worked at McNally Jackson, we kept the Bukowski books behind the register because, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people know pe a lot of – his books are stolen. Um, mm -hmm. And I think mostly because they're stolen and then they can be resold at used bookstores. Um, I'm sure some people steal it so they can read it. But um, anyway, I wrote this poem because I was angry. I guess I was annoyed with a coworker because he was, he was kind of being a snob about Bukowski and, you know, mm -hmm. basically saying that Bukowski's for misogynist assholes and drunks and, and there's no merit to any of it. And I'm actually, I don't, I haven't read much Bukowski. I've only read Post Office, but um, I've read enough to know that, I mean, it's not that simple. It's not just crap, you know, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be around still if it was just garbage. Um, so anyway, that's where the poem came out of. And it's sort of me arguing with myself and with this coworker in my head. All right, there we go. Home for Charles Bukowski. I hate people who say, I hate Charles Bukowski. And I hate people who say, I will hunt down each and every one of your family members and kill them one by one. I hate people who say that. I also hate people who say, I love Charles Bukowski because they're too happy about it. They're smiling like they just got away with something. Something like kicking their wife off of the couch, eating a payday candy bar meal, or killing an entire bottle of alcohol, any kind. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. That's really good. That's really Thanks. good. I, I find these good for loosening, like talking about getting yourself in the right place. I sometimes will read them just to get loosened up. Mm -hmm. Because it's that thing, it's like we were talking about you read some of his poems like right in a row and it's just like, Oh, you could just write about walking across the street and do it. Just any 
ordinary thing, you could go ahead and write a poem about it. Exactly. And yeah. uh, that's good. If something, I think something's good. If that encourages me to do that, I think that's a good thing. So, you know, and you're doing poems in that ilk. Of yeah. Describing it and let it flow out and see what you've got. The post office is prose. Yes, it is. <laughs> but, you know, that, that book. But there's not much difference the way he does it. Well, that book yeah. was helpful to me um, because, you know, it's it comes from that place of boredom and hating your job um, and, and finding some creativity um, anyway in, in the face of all of that. Um, and all I'd heard about that book was, you know, it's about him sleeping with all these women and being drunk and stuff. But oh, there was yeah. so much there was so much more to it and it was a lot sadder um, than I than I knew before yeah. I read it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's good on that. And I've had more than one person say just what you just said. That you know, it's it's kind of cathartic hearing what he's what he's got to say mm -hmm. about like the boredom at work or whatever or, or you know the little guy getting screwed and stuff like that. Yeah. There's a lot of that in there. Um ideas. There's ideas in there. In between the drunken bouts. So mm -hmm. or it's the other way around. Read another this is great. Yeah, so I'll read one from this new book I'm working on called Raking Leaves. Um, and I started this one when I was living in uh, West Virginia with a couple of writers. They let me come live with them, which was nice. Um, and so it kind of started as a West Virginia book, but now it's become, you know, a mix of West Virginia and, uh, North Carolina and everything in between. Um, right. but yeah, here's this love poem. Um, and yeah, like I said, uh, at that reading I did in Bennington, I started writing this for my girlfriend. Um, we'd gotten an argument in the kitchen, nothing big, but you know, enough to send me upstairs, uh, grumpy. And, um, Okay, well, that, that one's actually called Meatballs. Anyway, so we got in this little argument, and uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to write about this, and here's what I came up with. So this is Meatballs. She's downstairs making dinner because we got mad at each other. She doesn't want me to throw the honey into the cupboard. She wants things to be organized. I made her a peanut butter and honey and banana and apple jelly sandwich. I was going to use that as an excuse. I was going to argue. But I went upstairs, sat in the room I used to sleep in before I started sleeping in her room. Tried to read a book. Imagined running into the next room and opening the door and jumping off the balcony. Thought about a broken leg sitting on the wet grass screaming for her to stop making meatballs, for her to come outside and look at me, for her to fix my broken leg or take me to the hospital. But I don't jump off the balcony. I go downstairs and I eat the meatballs. I love that. <laughs> Again, you're, you are so believable. 
Well, <laughs> I think it just out of me. You could be faking me out, man, but it sounds it sounds really real to me. Well, it feels real to me too. Um, and that was one of those ones that uh, just sort of flew out of me. And mm. um, and then I, you know, I threw the piece of paper kind of at the bottom of a stack. And then a few weeks after I'd wrote it, um, I was reading some poems to my girlfriend, um, trying to figure out what maybe what I should read it at, at a reading. And I found that one at the bottom of the stack and read that to her and she liked it a lot. So, so now it's, it's an official poem. It's in the playlist. Yeah. It's in the playlist. Yeah. That's the way to do it. So I forget, did you say you, you did not, uh, you did or did not major in creative writing or anything like that back in school? Well, uh, in school, I went there as a like staunch, uh, fiction writer. That's what I'm going to do. Fiction. Um, and there was kind of this, it felt like, uh, at Bennington college where I went, um, it felt like the fiction guys were the jocks and the poetry kids were the intellectual, um, okay. art kids. And I didn't want to be a part of either group. Once I saw it like that, um, I wanted to be something else, whatever, but I never felt like I could write poetry or even read it really. Um, I just didn't know that there was anything there for me until I got out of college. Um, and then I was working in a bookstore and then there's all these books of poems around me and you know, there you go. You find the ones, you find the people you like. And then yeah. I, I started realizing that the way I think a lot of the time, um, I could translate that into, into poetry. Um, yeah. And it doesn't need to be profound. Poems don't need to be profound. Yeah, right. Um, a lot of my favorite poems are just about eating breakfast and whatever. <laughs> so what, what are a couple of the poets who, uh, who spoke to you um, as you were sampling around? Yeah, I would say, uh, Ron Paget is someone who, who helped me a lot. Also, these are poets who are really funny too. Um, so Paget was really funny to me and I really liked how simple a lot of his work was and how everyday it was. That was, that was easy for me to relate to. I'm looking at what's in front of me now. Um, Ted Berrigan, yeah. um, someone who sort of got me into it. Um, this guy, Michael Earl Craig, I don't know if you've heard of him, no, but he's, uh, he's, he's contemporary. He's probably in his, 40s or 50s at, at um and he he's a farrier so he he makes horseshoes in his day-to-day -day life um but his poems really spoke to me too yeah yeah so those are some of the people eileen miles is another one mm, yeah who i didn't i've never no one's ever said any compared to any of my work to hers but um yeah but she does that. She does. She does those long, slim poems that just roll, mm -hmm. just yeah. roll along. You know, they're beautiful. Yeah, really good. I actually bought Eileen Miles a uh, drink once at a reading, um, a seltzer with lime, because uh, she doesn't drink alcohol anymore. It sounds like a great title for a poem. <laughs> <laughs> Some part of that, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard her read a couple of times. It's just really, she's good. What was the guy's name? His last name was Craig, did you say? Uh, Michael Earl 
Craig, three names. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna look him up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay, I want to find him. Read those poems. Always looking for new sources of inspiration. So yeah, he's good. really good. I'll email you a couple of those. Great. Thanks. Okay. Well, let's see. Uh, how about how about let's do something else. You just did meatballs now. Whatever whatever else you like. Okay, I'll read the. Uh, I started talking about it, and I realized I was talking about meatballs. But I'll read the one I was. Well, you know, I'll read this one. Uh, it's pharmacy what poem a, number eleven. Um, I read this at that reading a couple nights ago, and it. I think it kind of shut everybody up. Not because it's the best poem ever or whatever, but I think everything I'd read until I read this poem had been pretty funny. Um, mm -hmm. And then I read this one, and it wasn't funny at all really um and yeah this is about <clears throat> it's about someone who had come into the pharmacy it's about a real person and uh just trying to process uh what happened here so anyway uh, this is pharmacy poem number 11. <clears throat> eel had multiple sclerosis i talked to him two days ago Today he shot himself in the head. His dad found him. A helicopter took him somewhere. He died plugged into something. Probably better that way. Tomorrow he was cremated. Tomorrow, tomorrow. We can talk about something else. It'll be someone else. Yeah, that, did, that was a showstopper. <laughs> <laughs> but imp impactful, but in a good way. I mean, at a poetry reading. Now, that's really interesting, of course. Everything is a, a poet's choice, every single word. And you know what I'm going to say? How did tomorrow get into the past tense there? That was That's interesting. Tomorrow was, yeah. was cremated. Yeah, I, I remember making that. I mean, yeah, that was a, a clear choice I made. Um, I think it's just because... It happened things like that because this really did happen. This person did commit suicide, and um, suddenly, you know, it's it's those things happen so fast, and then they're over, and then it's it's all done, and then you move on, and all that grief, you know, unless it's a close friend or a relative or something, all that grief that you might feel is just gone. It's gone. You move on, and there's something else to think about and talk about, and. Yeah. So that that's why I did that. Yeah. Uh, I like it when short poems are powerful because a lot of people write poems that are longer than they need to be. <laughs> I don't know if that's what I quite mean to say. Sure, they don't realize that you can do a lot in a shorter poem. Yeah, and it's like about that's ten or twelve lines. Mm -hmm. And that's something I'm trying to do with this this second book. Is not that in my first book um, the poems are really long. They're not very long, but. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to get the most out of like one or two line poems in in this wow. second book. Um, so that's kind of a fun challenge, but yeah. <laughs> two line poems. Okay, good. Yeah. And I, you don't see a lot of those really. I mean, no, it makes sense why, because they have a, there's a big chance that they might just be a dud, you know, if yeah. one or two lines, you know, is yeah. that a poem? I don't know, but um, I'm trying to do something with that. Do you have any of those handy? I mean, we, we got about 
got about five minutes. You know, if you wanted to do a few, if, or if you're willing to do a few, yeah, just for the yeah. hell of it, because it's an interesting experiment you're doing to do with that. Yeah, shit. I can, I can grab one of those right now. I've noticed does this a lot, and I actually, it's another guy who you hear so much about, and people have such strong opinions about. You know, they hate him or they think he's a joke, or they love him, um, is Brodigan has a lot of really tiny, tiny little poems. He does. Yes, um, you're right. Yeah, he, so here... Sorry, what were you going to say? I'm just, I'm just thinking about Brodigan. Yeah, he had some very short ones. Mm -hmm. and, and and your fear when you try to write those is, will somebody think, as you said, that's not a poem. You just tossed off a little statement about life or something you know yeah exactly and you know maybe some of these will fail and that's okay um yeah. but another thing is when i'm working on a book is thinking about the whole the, the whole mm -hmm. thing itself you know from beginning to end and how the poems all work together and um so hopefully these shorter ones kind of bounce off each other um and yeah. work together so anyway here's one called feel bad feel bad I poured hot water on an ant. <laughs> so there's that. This is called Squad Goals. I feel like if I can finally grow a beard, I'll look like Fat Jim Morrison, and it'll be good. No, these are poems, I'd say. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, pharmacy poem number nine. I have a lot of days off. Thank you, Susan. Um, this isn't one or two lines, but it's it's pretty short. Pharmacy poem number six. A man bared his teeth at me. He was smiling. He was a state trooper. Or he worked at the jail. Or he bought a newspaper. That's a nice one where the picture unfolds line by line and, and alters, of course. You know you're doing that, but uh, that's nice the way that does that. No, I hadn't thought about Brodigan in a long time, but the uh, yeah, these these definitely can put me in mind of some of his, his better ones. Yeah, I know he's got some, some clunkers. <laughs> no, but I mean, he was enormous in his, in his day. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like everybody read him. He was like on campus. He was the person out there writing books that just everybody knew of him mm -hmm. and of his work. Sounds really impressive. Yeah. So those are the, the short ones I've got with me. Um, yeah. And but, again, as you say, I think with the short ones, like at a reading, uh, you won't do you'll do one, but they play off each other. So it's almost like you have a a long multi-part poem mm -hmm. that you're doing. Yeah even though each one can stand on its own. Yeah. And a lot of these short ones, these one or two liners, they started as something I said to um, a friend. Um, the, actually, the the people who were putting out my book, um, when, I, when I was living with them, because the, the, the couple I was living with in West Virginia, um, the man runs a press, um, and I would say things, and he'd be like, that's a poem. And so I'd write it down. And so I came, came to North Carolina with a lot of those. And then I kind of had to figure out, all right, you know, that isn't really going to go yeah. in this book. But yeah, a lot of them 
uh, started out as spoken. Mm -hmm. Well, it's perfect. It makes them, gives them that natural uh, feel, that real feel, which is always an asset. Hey, so this has been really good. I'm glad you could do this. And folks, this is Poetry Spoken here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. We've been talking with Joey Grantham, talking to us from the northern corner of North Carolina. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. You're listening to Poetry Spoken here. I am your host, Charlie Rossiter, and we have been visiting today with Joey Grantham from down in North Carolina and enjoying his poems. And now I'd like to take a look at some poetry by a person who is best known as a fiction writer. I had an experience a couple of weeks ago. I went to something called Poetry Night at a little bookstore in Cambridge, New York, Bat and Kill Books. I got there and found out that this group called just the Poetry Group has been going on for about 30 years. It's not an open mic exactly. It's not a workshop of critique. It's people who get together and like poetry and share poetry. Some of it is original poetry, and some of it is poems that people just feel like reading to the group. So I thought, all right, you know, we'll give this a go. And it was pretty interesting, particularly because I really learned something. One of the participants brought in some poems by Stephen Crane. Yes, Stephen Crane, the guy best known for having written Red Badge of Courage, and I think Maggie, Girl of the Streets, considered a naturalist uh, for his basic descriptions of real life the way it is. Um, with his poetry, people think he foreshadowed the images. He wrote short poems concise with very vivid imagery. So I thought I'll just read you a few of these, see what you think. Uh, I ran out and bought a little book called The Complete Poems of Stephen Crane. He had two books. He died young. He was only 28 years old when he died. But I'll just let you see what you think of these because I thought they're pretty interesting. Don't have titles. The Wayfarer. Perceiving the pathway to truth was struck with astonishment. It was thickly grown with weeds. Ha, he said, I see that none has passed here in a long time. Later, he saw that each weed was a singular knife. Well, he mumbled at last, doubtless there are other roads. Weeds of blades, blades of weeds, to get through to the truth. A youth in apparel that glittered, went to walk in a grim forest where he met an assassin, attired all in garb of old days. He, scowling through the thickets and dagger poised quivering, rushed upon the youth. Sir, said this latter, I am enchanted, believe me, to die thus in this medieval fashion, according to the best legends. Ah, what joy! Then took he the wound, smiling, and died content. Whoa. I saw a man pursuing the horizon. Round and round they sped. I was disturbed at this. I accosted the man. It's futile, I said. You never can. You lie, he cried, and ran on. Yeah, uh, Crane's pretty nihilistic. And then the, the poem that the uh, was shared at the poetry night that first grabbed me, 
and that I uh, thought was uh, interesting. I didn't know Crane had written it. There is, I'm pretty sure it's a novel title. Uh, the last lines of this poem, a novel by, I believe, Joyce Carol Oates. Here's the poem. In the desert, I saw a creature, naked, bestial, who, squatting upon the ground, held his heart in his hands and ate of it. I said, is it good, friend? It is bitter, bitter, he answered. But I like it because it is bitter and because it is my heart. Poems by Stephen Crane. I'm Charlie Roster. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. Join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.